welcome to Incriminated. Sylvia Roach Kelly was a doting young mother of two young children, a 14-year-old son with autism and a four-year-old daughter. She was married to husband Lorcan Roach Kelly and had set up a lovely home for themselves in Ballantia, County Clare, Ireland. Unfortunately, the couple did sadly separate, but still did the best for the well-being of the kids. Sylvia was an extremely talented artist. It was always a lifelong dream of hers to open up her own art gallery one day, and that is exactly what she had done. During the year of 2005, she opened up the Miller Gallery, located in a small village in County Clare called Six Mile Bridge. This village is situated between Ennis and Limerick City. The gallery was running really well until two years later, in the summertime 2007, it had been closed down. This was due to the fact that the gallery was too expensive to run with the overheads and rent, so finances were becoming a little bit of a problem for the family. Sylvia then decided to set up her very own art gallery business from the family home to overcome this financial pressure. It worked out very well for her and kept her busy. This also meant she could also spend more quality time with the children. On December the 7th, 2007, this fell on a Friday night. Christmas party season was starting to kick off, with many Christmas work parties and reunions going on. Sylvia was just turning 33 years of age, so she decided to treat herself and have a break to a rare night out on the tiles, out in Limerick City. She invited a few close friends and family to join in as well. She was looking forward to the getaway. Sylvia was well acquainted with Limerick City and knew her way around it, so the night should go according to plan. During the night out, Sylvia, her sister and a few of her friends went on a pub crawl along the main street of Limerick. They had a few drinks in a couple of the bars, enjoying the night and finally decided they would finish off the occasion in Ted's nightclub, dancing and socialising until the small hours of the morning. This is where Sylvia met up with a young 23-year-old man named Jerry McGrath. They struck up a conversation and there was a little bit of flirting going on as well. They had a few more drinks together, enjoying each other's company. Jerry was also out with a friend of his. He came from Ballywater in County Tipperary, which is about an hour and a half away from Limerick approximately. He booked himself a room into the Clarion Hotel in Limerick for the night as he lived a bit away and could not find a train in time suitable to bring him back home the same night. As the two of them made quite a good connection, Jerry decided to invite Sylvia back into his hotel room to finish off the night. 
She was comfortable with this idea at the time, so they both walked hand in hand, ordered a taxi and returned to the Carrion Hotel. The next morning, it was coming around the time for guests to check out of their rooms. Many people, as you can imagine, being hungover from the night before, and sleeping in late, ignoring phone calls and whatnot. The hotel staff cleaners were making the rounds, knocking on all the room doors to check in on guests, so they could start cleaning the rooms around for the next set of arrivals to come in. They meandered along to Jerry McGrath's room. It seemed to the cleaners that the room was unoccupied or the guests had checked out, so they started to clean up. They undressed the bed and put away empty bottles and so on. They then made their way in to clean the bathroom. As they started cleaning the bathroom, they came across clothes that were thrown on the floor. Then, when they both turned to the bathtub, the cleaners were completely stunned as to what they saw. They discovered a woman face down and passed out in the bathtub, not wearing any clothes, and the authorities were called quickly thereafter. When the guardi arrived at the scene, an investigation was quickly launched as they assumed that the woman's death was under very suspicious circumstances but could not figure out why yet. They were able to identify the woman sadly and it was in fact Sylvia. Her family and friends were already trying to get in contact with her but did not have any luck. What had happened to Sylvia after such a good night out for her birthday? Will anybody be incriminated for this? An autopsy was carried out after a day or so, and this concluded that poor Sylvia had died as a result of suffering a violent assault. She endured severe bruising on her upper body, head and also her face. Then it was strangled to death. Her nose was fractured as well. This was now a full murder investigation. The scientific forensic investigators also retrieved DNA from Sylvia's body. They found out from the DNA that she had a sexual encounter on the night of her death. So, the next lead was to find out who she last had sexual contact with, as this could now be a sex abuse case as well as murder. While investigating further, the Gardi also collected more evidence from the hotel room. This included a blood-soaked towel which was found near Sylvia's head. A small amount of blood was also found on the bed sheets as well as the carpet next to the bed. This was also tested out by forensics. When detectives checked into the hotel's guest logbook, they had figured out that the room Sylvia was found in was booked under a man named Jerry McGrath. The Clarion Hotel staff stated to the Gardi that he failed to check out of the room himself. He was missing and nowhere to be seen. The next task the authorities were on to next was to check the CCTV footage of the night in question. This was to see if they could trace any of Sylvia's movements. Astonishingly enough, they found a video clip of Jerry leaving the Clarion Hotel on the morning of Sylvia's death. 
Another piece of video evidence showed Sylvia and McGrath walking along the streets of Limerick City holding hands, making their way back to the hotel. This was around 3 o'clock in the morning. Gardy went looking for various contacts, friends or family relating to Jerry. His family were very cooperative with this serious investigation. It was eventually determined that McGrath had decided on a last-minute trip to England. But investigators knew this was a lie and he was actually running away from them. Contact was made to McGrath's family in England to see if they could track him down and they did. After a while he was arrested and returned back to Ireland. He was interrogated by detectives for a good few hours in Henry Street Garda station and then was formally charged with Sylvia's murder. Gardy only have his word to go by as to what happened that evening. McGrath told Sylvia something and her response enraged him, he later told Gardy. He beat her viciously, he hit her in the face, pulled her hair and put his hands around her neck and strangled her. He would only later admit to maybe having kicked her between the legs. He dragged her body into the bathroom and dumped her face down in the bathtub, her arms by her side. He said he then spent several hours in the bedroom passing the time away, not even thinking about the consequences of what he had done. When detectives looked further into Jerry McGrath's background, it uncovered a terrifying criminal background that was to become a scandal of injustice, alleged cover-up and maybe even corruption. As I was saying before, Jerry McGrath had an ominous criminal background that in April 2007, a woman taxi driver named Mary Lynch was brutally attacked by the killer before. She narrowly escaped from him. She says she blames herself that she later killed Sylvia Roach Kelly. Mary Lynch was badly assaulted by McGrath in April 2007 after she picked him up and he directed her to take him down a cul-de-sac. Miss Lynch talked with presenter Pat Kenny on News Talk, an Irish radio station. She stated that she feels her assault case was not properly dealt with and she feels guilty over the murder of Miss Kelly. Recollecting her memories from the terrifying assault, Mary said he had drink taken, but he wasn't falling down drunk or anything like that. She also said he got out of the car and he came round to my window, which I opened down so that he could pay me in through the window, but instead he opened the door of the car and he just went berserk. He went mental. Quote, he started kicking me. He pulled lumps out of my hair. He bit me. I was black and blue. I had black eyes and my neck was all bruised. All down my sides were all bruised, black and blue. I was screaming, she told Pat Kenny on the air. By the time he came around to the door, his fly was open and he was trying to get my head to his body. He wanted to beat me up, she said. Luckily, Mrs Lynch calmed her attacker down and she drove herself to safety and he was later arrested by the Gargi. Quote, At this stage I was in a bad way. I was very scared. I thought I was going to be raped, murdered or both. He was trying to get me out of the car. He was trying to get my seatbelt off me. But I kept my hand on my seatbelt so that he couldn't open it. He had kept the keys to my car at that stage. 
I had deodorant in the glove compartment of my car and I got it and I sprayed it into his eyes and it seemed for ages before it actually reacted. Somebody up there was taking care of me because I calmed down and when I calmed down he calmed down too. Then he started saying sorry. I said thank you for saying sorry to me. Why don't you get back into the car? Give me my keys and we will go in and get a cup of coffee and I will get you some help. She said all I needed to do was get out of where I was because nobody knew where I was. He kept apologising but I could feel at this stage that he was getting very aggravated. Gardy arrested McGrath in Virginia County Cavern and Mary received medical attention for the horrible injuries she sustained. Quote, I had a bite on my shoulder which was broken. It looked very disgusting. My neck was all bruised where he had his hands around my throat. Quote, the guards came into the hospital and they took one evidence bag full of my hair and my husband took a bag of hair out of the car later on. I was very shaken and very scared and to this day I would be very nervous and the only people I pick up now are the people that are recommended to me. She was very alarmed that McGrath had been released on bail and she was later very angry as well that she was not allowed to give her victim impact statement in court she said. I told the guards that I wanted to be in the court. I knew my case was coming up on Monday January the 7th which was after the murder. I had got myself all prepared to go down. On the Saturday before the court, I got a call from the guard who said my case was not going ahead, so there was no need for me to be there. Mrs Lynch said she felt that her gut instincts that McGraw was dangerous were proved right, but she feels guilty over Miss Kelly's murder. When I heard about the murder, she said, I realised I was right. That could have been my fate. I live with that fact because nothing was done in my case. I feel bad that this woman is dead, even though I know in my heart of hearts, I know it has nothing to do with me, but I feel guilty about it. It started with my case, and because my case wasn't handled properly, this woman is dead. That's the bottom line of it. There's a woman dead now because of it, because of the incompetence of these people, and I hope it never happens to anyone else again. So now we're going to fast forward to October the 9th, 2007. McGrath has been released on bail for the incident of the assault with Mary Lynch. On this exact date, at around 3.30am, another terrifying attack occurred. It would have been a cold night. McGrath trespassed and broke into a house in Dundrum in County Tipperary. He came across a five-year-old girl sleeping in her own bed. He woke up the poor child as he was entering the room. He grasped his hand onto her mouth and onto her throat and made his way down the stairs with her. God only knows what he was planning on doing with her. The girl's father luckily heard the disturbance and cornered McGrath in the kitchen downstairs. He managed to threaten McGrath and pinned him until the arrival of the guardie. From the article from the Irish Independent by Connor Kane, he wrote, a murderer was sentenced to 10 years in jail after falsely imprisoning and assaulting a five-year-old girl in her family home. Medical evidence indicated that the little girl had burst blood vessels in her face as a result of being choked and had a bruise to her left ear. 
McGrath had a considerable amount of drink taken, the court was told. Michael Quirk, defendant, said that his client had problems as a child and did not get on well in school. However, this is no excuse for his actions. McGrath had been released on bail by Judge Tom O'Donnell on October thirtieth, two 2007 at Limerick District Court. This was despite strenuous objections by the guardie. He had been already been remanded in custody three times before. Five weeks later, he murdered Sylvia Roach Kelly. McGrath was charged with assault, causing harm, burglary and false imprisonment. The girl and her whole family were severely traumatised by the incident. A court later heard the girl's feeling of security in her own home was taken away from her and often asks her parents, what was this man going to do with me? It was very upsetting for them and they will never get over it. In a victim impact statement, the child's father said, the sight of McGrath running around the house with our daughter in his arms will remain with my wife for the rest of her life. Mary was very strong in chasing after McGrath to prevent him from leaving the house with our daughter, but that strength has to be paid for in shock, anger and post-traumatic stress. In the murder trial for Sylvia Roach, Mr Justice Barry White applied the mandatory life sentence and said that McGrath had taken the life of an innocent woman. McGrath was appointed for trial but pleaded guilty before a jury was even sworn in. Detective Sergeant McHugh agreed with Mr Murphy that McGrath had one previous conviction for assaulting a female taxi driver, causing her harm in April 2007, and was on bail for that offence when he killed Miss Roach Kelly. He was sentenced to nine months in January 2008 on top of the mandatory life sentence. Sergeant Ronan McDonough read out victim impact statements from Sylvia's parents and former husband Lorcan. Esther and John Burke said they could not begin to explain their suffering and pain at the loss of their daughter Sylvia. Mrs Burke said she wished she could hold her in her arms again and tell her she loved her. Mr Burke said his daughter used to call down to him for advice and every now and then, since her murder, he would think she was at the door. He said it was very hard to cope with and he spent most days thinking of her. Lorcan Roach Kelly said he had to explain to their children that their mammy was dead and they would never see her again. It was extraordinarily difficult for them to come to terms with this. Defence counsel Patrick Gageby read a letter from his client in which McGrath said he was truly sorry and would never forgive himself. He said he could only start to imagine the pain and hurt that he had caused. McGrath's lawyer said his client came from a respectable family and he said he had suffered from addiction to alcohol and had lost a child with an ex-partner. However, this is no excuse for his actions, in my opinion. Once all of the information on McGrath's criminal record was in the public domain, it led to much critical reaction from the Irish public, the media and especially Sylvia's ex-husband. 
Following the court case in Tipperary, he said the circumstances of the cases raised more profoundly serious questions over the decisions to grant him bail. He said by twice granting bail to this extremely dangerous person, the state gave him freedom, which he used as an opportunity to murder Sylvia. The impact of her murder on those who had already suffered so greatly at the hands of Jerry McGrath must have been horrific, he said, in a statement released to the media. Quote, it is a systematic failure, or it is a failure on behalf of some individuals, I don't know yet, but I do intend on finding out. What is very clear to me now is that there is a very big difference between justice and the law, he said on an interview on RTE. In January 2010, Lorcan Roach Kelly issued legal proceedings against the state on behalf of his children, claiming that McGrath should not have been granted bail as he posed a significant threat to the public. His solicitor Gwen Bowne confirmed that the papers were issued to the High Court. Mr Roach Kelly argued the case that the state acted in profound negligence by granting bail to Jerry McGrath. Michael Noonan, the former finance minister, but more importantly, a former minister for justice, spoke out about this issue in particular in February 2009, saying that the bail laws needed to be tightened up, quote, The law permits judges to refuse bail to persons who they think will become involved in serious crimes. However, judges are reluctant to refuse bail as persons are deemed to be innocent until proven guilty and the length of time between the first appearance in court and the trial can be very long, a couple of years in many cases. He also said the man who murdered Miss Roach Kelly was out on bail and had a history of involvement in violent crime. The fact that he was out on bail when he was committed this murder has frightened many members of the public who have justifiable concern, he said. The Roach Kelly murder case prompted a very heated debate on the bail issue, which was ignited by anger from the public, which lasted for quite a while. The effects were damaging. A Limbrick priest also made an addition to the debate and talked about the hurt felt by the people who were forced to watch criminals give to what he described as the two fingers to the criminal justice system. Father Joe Young says that by granting bail to these offenders, the courts are easily enabling an opportunity for potential witnesses to be intimidated in the future. While Galji are doing a good enough job trying to fight crime, they are forced to face various challenges, including the bail laws. It is his belief that numerous families will experience pain until the bail laws are changed. Quote, why do we have to wait for so long for justice to be served and an impact statement to be made when mothers are suffering right now? They have been given a life sentence. I just feel that it's very hard, irrespective of whether the crime is solved or not. There is no closure for a mother, he said. This excerpt was taken from Out on Bail, The Crimes of Violent Bail Breakers by Emma Connolly. The widower of murdered woman, Sylvia Roach Kelly, whose case is included in the O'Higgins report, says he is appalled by the length of time the report has taken to be published and that he has no faith in the Garda Shia The Commission of Investigation, headed by Mr Justice Kevin O'Higgins, was created to investigate claims of Garda corruption that effectively led to the resignation of former Minister for Justice Alan Shatter.
and the early retirement of the former Garda Commissioner Martin Callanan. The inquest started in February 2015 to examine the allegations made by Sergeant Maurice McCabe about the corruption and malpractice in the Cavan Monaghan Division of the Garda. The inquiry report was later shown exclusively to the Department of Justice. Minister for Justice Frances Fitzgerald said in a statement that she was investigating and studying the report and consulting with the Attorney General. The point of this was so the report could be made public at a later date. Sergeant McCabe made a series of allegations of Garda misconduct, including malpractice and corruption relating to the Garda computer system called Pulse, and the handling of the case relating to Miss Roach Kelly specifically. Sylvia's husband, Lorcan Roach Kelly, has told RTE's Sean O'Rourke show that the biggest issue that he faced was with the obfuscation what felt like a cover-up by the Guardi. It's taken nine years to get this report, he said. Mr Roach Kelly stated he was saddened and disappointed that the O'Higgins Commission did not look at what happened after the original Cavan assault. He fought and sued the state and other parties, including the Garda Commissioner and Minister for Justice for damages, alleging his wife's killer was free to commit crime of murder when he should have been in custody. He was unsuccessful. He claimed the failure and inaction of the defendants in relation to the bail application to inform the relevant court authorities of certain other offences with which McGrath had been charged caused or contributed to the fact he was on bail when he should not have been. He said the Gardaí have been incredibly uncooperative throughout this entire process to show what happened or admit to any failings. He also said what really put the salt on the wounds is that the Gardaí decided to approach their own failings by denying the failings existed at all. Rather than admitting the problem and have to deal with it, they deny the problem exists at all, in the hope that it will all go away. That's what I faced throughout this whole process. Nobody from the Gardaí or the Department of Justice has ever said, this is where we failed and this is what we're going to do about it. Thank you for listening to Incriminated. I'm your host, Francesca Hayes. If you have any questions or requests, you can email incriminatedpod at yahoo.com. The Twitter handle for the podcast is incriminatedpo1 and for Instagram, it's incriminatedpod. This episode is distributed by Acast. Music is by Owen Leonard and Mivavi Editor. Details are in the description below. I have also added the research links in the episode description below. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to be notified for the next episode. And I will talk with you all again in a couple of weeks. Take care.